Here we go. It's the new year, Father Peter. Well, no, it's not yet. <laughs> Almost happy new year. <laughs> we are the word on the hill. We well, are the lanky guys. This is the word on the hill. Dude, you know, five, it's hard. Five it's years hard. later and I, I should have had it. Just four. Okay. We're starting our fifth year. Okay, yeah. It's not the new year yet. Well, it is the new year for us because it starts at Advent. Yeah. This is confusing. <laughs> Calendars are weird. Yeah, dude. I, I, I'm just happy that Pope St. Gregory just is like, dude, this thing's messed up. Let's actually get our best people on this. And then he got the Gregorian calendar going. Can I make a confession about today's episode? Uh-uh. A public confession? I yes. can't make a public confession? <laughs> yes, you can. We're on Christmas vacation right now, which yes. is very fun. I got Scott off of Christmas vacation. No, it's good. I wanted me. to put on a rerun today, but because of the, the coin, <laughs> coinciding of the Feast of the Mother of God, the Solemnity, and it being the first Sunday after Christmas, we don't have an episode that oh, works in this vein. I know, Mary, Mother of God. I wanted this to episode put on doesn't a re- exist. I wanted to rerun too, and then <laughs> then we then we like process the calendar, and we're like, oh, so you guys. You no, know, this is an insight into me. I've thought about this weeks ago, and I've been stressed about it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I've been you, thinking about this, and but this is good. Now we're together, but it's one of those things. Now you're together. You get off of your off of your tail, off your you high come, horse. You come here. You get the stuff set up. We're hanging out. We're eating our sour bright crawlers, dude. We and have things, Red and Bull. life is good. You, you but know, it's the preparation. It's the it's the getting out of Christmas vacation mode. I know. And just for an hour. I wanted to I wanted to cancel it too, and to just uh, and let the people enjoy the the years past. They wouldn't have enjoyed. And I don't even know if anybody listens this week. I don't either. Because you're I mean, all on Christmas vacation too. Yeah. Well, for those of you who are listening, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Well, you guys, this is going to be Sunday, January first. Mary, Mother of God. I, so what is this pre- called? The octave day of Christmas. That's the the official title. It is also the solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, but it's also called the Octave Day. Of, so it's not the first Sunday of it's not the second Sunday of Christmas. Is it's, the Octave Day of Christmas? It's yeah. What it's, the heck are we? So it, it's still Talk to me. it's still Christmas. Oh, liturgy, day. man. It's still Christmas Day. Okay. So, so it is the Sunday of the octave of Christmas. Yeah, Sunday in the octave of Christmas. Things are weird when Christmas and New Year's fall on a Sunday. La, 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 Although everybody comes to the Holy Day of Obligation for New Year's Day. <laughs> they do. Because they have to. But, well, they have to anyway. Dude, I, but I, now fa- it's Sunday. Father Mbala well. came to me and he's, he's like, Father, Uh-oh. he's like, I need to make a request of you. Uh-oh. And I was like, I was like, oh no, this is this feels very dramatic all oh, of no. a sudden. Oh no. And he said, can I take the early mass on January 1st? All right. And I was like, I was like, gosh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I scheduled myself, but now that you ask, yes. Fine. You, you can yes, have you the 730 minutes on New Year's Day. <laughs> Which is so funny because. That's um, hilarious. And, well, actually we canceled the 730. Oh, so he has the nine? He has the nine. Oh. And I was like, cause it's his birthday. So happy birthday. It is birthday. A happy birthday to Father Mbala. Father Mbala. Mary, mother of God, Father Mbala. I'll never forget his birthday. No. Well, on this fabulous day, our first reading is going to be coming from the book of Numbers. Dude, man, last time I was uh, reading Numbers, um, it was at the beginning of the podcast. Our psalm is Psalm 67. Wait, wait, I didn't even say what it was. Numbers (laughs) 6. Verse 22 through 27. Number six, 23, that's just really funny. Numbers chapter six. Did the, I say number six? Yeah. Chapter six. Numbers chapter six. Numbers, numbers chapter six. <laughs> oh my gosh, stop trying to mess me up. Okay, then our psalm Jeez. is Psalm 67, two through eight with the response from 2A. <laughs> yes, <laughs> except we skipped verse four and seven. Otherwise, it's verse two through eight. No, it, there's no four or seven. There's four two or seven. through three, five, six, and eight. Mine, okay, that works. Just saying. 
Okay. Just trying to be liturgically pure. <laughs> you, you don't want to be. That's fine. You know, I mean, if you, you, if, if, you know, according to my Nazarite vow, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to have a pure experience. Too. Do you know that the Nazarite vows show up for the first time right before our first reading? Yeah, that's why. That's why you brought it up because you studied. Got it. Got it. Did we say Galatians yet? No. Galatians is our second reading, chapter four, verse four through seven. And then our Luke is Gospel <laughs> two sixteen to twenty one. Oh, we're getting slapped, Abby. That's because we had Red Bull. It's because neither of us slept last night. I know. I, seriously, and I, we did have some Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull and Sour Bright Crawlers are a strange. And, Dor- and Doritos. Do you don't kn- tell them how bad we are. Dude, do you know that I bought I bought pure MSG from the spice store? And Sick. I have it, and I want to like cook with it because like MSG makes chips taste so good. Sick. <laughs> well, on that happy note, <laughs> the Lord said to Moses. All right, uh, Numbers chapter 6. La- so you you have some things to say about this, and I have some things to say about this. And so here's what I have to say. Okay, speak to me as the Lord spoke to Moses. I'm going to make a suggestion. Well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it safe. Let's keep it safe. Okay, Scott. I like it. This is one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament. And I wonder for the Jewish people, I, I was I was tempted to say maybe for the Jewish people it's the most important passage. Because the priestly benediction. I'm going to stick with one of the most important. Dude. But it's more than the priestly benediction. So it, it is that. So so you, you've heard this before. This is the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron, who was the high priest, and, and, and his sons, and tell them this is how you shall bless the people, the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. Let the Lord, sh- the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. And so they shall invoke my name upon the Israelites, and I will bless them. So this is the blessing. You say this oftentimes at the end of Mass, right? It shows up in our liturgy. I, I, actually, I don't actually get to say this. The Archbishop does, but I... I the Archbishop does. Yeah, no, that's right. But then, it does show up liturgically in, yeah, our, yeah. in our life. I actually pray this over my kids every single night. I make the sign of the cross on their forehead, and I pray this prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. I summarize it a little bit. Yeah. But it's an incredibly important prayer that that um, God gives the priests to pray this blessing over the people who gather at the tabernacle every day. So every day as the people gather at the tabernacle, and then later on the temple, this is the prayer that would have been prayed for them. And, and by the way... This I thought this is fascinating because I didn't realize this. And I, I did. It was dug, buried way back in my notes. This was the prayer. Now, catch this. This is going to blow your little mind. If you, unless you already knew it. Maybe you already knew it. If you didn't, I think you're going to be excited. Okay. Zechariah, right? So the beginning of our whole Christmas story, the beginning of our Advent story, the Annunciation to Zechariah. When Zechariah is in the temple and he's told that he's going to have John the Baptist, the prayer that he's supposed to be praying is this prayer which is the very prayer that he cannot pray because he's struck mute. So as he's offering the incense in the temple, this is what he's supposed to be saying. Yes. He is not able to say this prayer. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus prays the priestly prayer over his disciples and does precisely what Zechariah the priest was never able to do. So in a certain sense, the whole Gospel of Luke is framed around this prayer. From Zechariah not being able to pray it to Jesus praying it at the very end, so it's um, it's kind of cool. You're looking not very surprised. Well, well, you knew this. Yeah, I did. I okay. mean, I, I like I was I was speculating about it partly at um, you know, in Luke it says that um after Elizabeth names John John, and then he has a tablet and he opens his mouth. 
Yeah. Um, th- then I, I was speculating that you think this is what comes out th- that, that he just <laughs> I think he was just I think he had it pent up, <laughs> and I think that I think that that's why all the neighbors were, this out. I think that's why all the neighbors were talking. Because they really want this blessing. Well, because it was it's normally only supposed to get, be given liturgically at yeah, the temple. Absolutely. But the, and this was his one chance in his whole life to ever do it. That's true. Yeah, good point. And so that I, I think and that he can't do it. And he can't do it. He can't actually lift his voice on high. It's fascinating. And so, so I wonder if, if actually he, as soon as it was named, his tongue was unfurled, that he went for it. I mean, I know we have the Benedictus. Perhaps I also think there's a foreshadowing of. This priesthood is not the real priesthood any longer. And that's why Luke frames his gospel the way he does, with Jesus then saying this prayer that Zechariah was not Mm. able to pray, because it's no longer, in a certain sense, it's no longer Zechariah's prayer. It's no longer Zechariah's priesthood. Zechariah, of course, is a forerunner, and he's a precursor, and he begins to set the stage in a prophetic way. But Zechariah's priesthood is passing away to make way for Jesus's new priesthood, of which you actually are part of. Yeah. But there's something to the fact that Zechariah can't do the priestly duties anymore because his, specifically because his priesthood is passing away. I wonder if there's something to that, a foreshadowing of that that's built in here. That in a certain sense, because the true word has been uttered, that the word at the temple is silence. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? It it reminds me of what Jesus does when the 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 cleansing of the temple when he breaks out the whips and turns over the tables and all that stuff. Yeah, he's just shutting down the the commerce from the. He's shutting down. Well, he's not shutting down the commerce. He's shutting down everything because if the commerce is shut down, there's no exchanging of coins. There's no buying or selling of animals. Then literally, until there's they no can sacrifice. clean it up, there is no sacrifice in the temple. Right. He ceases everything. And he's, prophetically, for a time, foreshadowing the moment that will cease forever. And be trumped by his sacrifice, which is eternal. I wonder if there's something to Zachariah's silence that's kind of doing the same thing. That's cool. Speaking to something. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but this prayer, I can't emphasize enough how important this prayer is in the Jewish mindset. It was literally when um, a child was born, a mother's job was to whisper this prayer into the ears of the baby. And when someone died, they would often want this prayer prayed to them as on their deathbed. It was a very important prayer. Um, so it, it does frame, in a certain sense, the life of Israel, this priestly prayer. Were you able to make sense of why this is coming right after the breaking of the Nazarite vow? The breaking of the Nazarite vow or the giving of the Nazarite vows? No, well, I mean, it's 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 basically, it talks about the process of how the Nazarite vow, like you yeah. take it and all, you, you can't eat it, you can't even eat grapes. And then they're like, and then you have right. to grow, grow your hair out. You can't yeah. touch dead bodies. Yeah. Anything even, dead. And, no and, death. No Not death. even a dead fly. You can't use a fly swatter if you're a Nazareth. It's really funny. It's like, even if your friend dies next to you, like, yeah, no, it's th- true. Th- then you have to offer a pair of turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, here's the sense that I'm making to the connection between okay. the two. Who else takes on Nazarite vows in the New Testament? Jesus. No, Jesus does not. He oh, John wine. the Baptist. John the Baptist does. When is that given? It's given to Zechariah. As Zechariah cannot pray this prayer, he's given the Nazarite vows prior to that and being told this is what your son will do. Mm. So there's something to the fact that the Nazarite vows show up right before this priestly prayer that Zechariah cannot pray. And then in the temple, the angel gives him the Nazarite vows to get pronounced upon his son as he cannot pray the second part of this prayer. I, I, I'm not trying to get too convoluted, but there's something to the fact no. that the two are connected both in the Gospel of Luke and here back in Numbers. And, and the, I wonder if there's something there. And then the, the sac- precisely at the center of the Nazarite um, vow, 
the time of the separation has been completed. He shall be brought to the door of the tent of meeting, and he shall offer his gift to the Lord, a, mm. a lamb, a year old, mm. as well as the fine uh, unleavened bread, yeah. fine flour, and uh, un- unleavened wafers spread with oil. Mm. And it was just it was just really interesting. There's like real Eucharistic oh, symbolism yeah. present within this this <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? This Eucharistic, Eucharistic. symbolism. So Yeah, big so time. In a certain sense it's like it's like the whole expression right before this priestly blessing um is that there there is going to be something that is disposed specifically for um, this Eucharistic expression. And so John the Baptist, because all, all these things happen, actually, it's, I always thought a Nazarite vow took place um, for somebody's whole life, but that is actually, it's actually a temporary period. Are you sure? Did you read this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it says, uh, and it says, um, uh, when, he, when his vow is completed, and then, yeah, he says... Um, well, they can be for a whole life. Okay. So, so, some can take it up. Because John the Baptist, um, there seems to be an implication that it is a lifelong vow because in his case, it's the parents who actually, it's like, it's akin to baptism, that the parents of a baptized baby make the baptismal promises on the child's behalf. Uh, and that's what's happening with Elizabeth and Zechariah with the Nazarite vow. They are sort of taking it upon themselves to give their child this vow uh, in the same way that we would, you know, Annie and I took on the promises of our children at baptism. Uh, so that yeah. suggests to me that at least in his case, it was meant to be a lifelong vow. The only other one off the top of my head that I can think of is Samson, who takes a Nazarite vow. And in his case as well, it's the parents who pronounce it upon him and who take it on. Oh. He breaks his pretty horrendously, which is his whole story of his downfall, the cutting off of his hair, the whole Delilah thing, temples yeah. crashing down. It's all literally the breaking of Nazarite vows. Um, but presumably, I, I see no uh, sign that it wasn't for his whole life. I can't think of an example when it wasn't. But I suppose, yeah, it could be temporary. There's no reason it can't be. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the other says, the, and then at the end of it, the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tent of meeting. No. Oh. And then they'll take hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. Oh, that would stink. And then the priest like, shall literally. take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled and one unleavened cake out of the basket and, and put it in the hands of the Nazarite after he's shaven the hair of his consecration. And then it's just, <laughs> then there's a wave consecration. I was like, I was like, this seems very complicated. It's very complicated. I was, I was like, basically, you, you're not getting out of the uh, Nazarite vow real easily. That's, I think, the bottom line. Okay. As Samson sort of demonstrates, it's a pretty arduous process of him. Actually, it's hard to break all of his vows, which he does, and you see all the consequences. Yeah. But that's a story. That's a story for another day. That's a story for another day. But that does take us to Psalm sixty-seven, I think, pretty seamlessly, because Psalm sixty-seven is taking on the themes of the of the priestly blessing of of number six, and talking about really number uh, Psalm sixty-seven is in a certain sense a commentary on number six. In the fact that it's describing, as the priest is pronouncing its blessing, Psalm 67 is reminding us that it's actually God who's blessing us in his mercy, which is our response. But then it goes through literally all the themes of um, this priestly blessing of number six. May the Lord have pity on us, bless us, let his face shine upon us, you know, so that your way may be known on earth and all nations your salvation. It's taking upon those themes and showing where all of those blessings ultimately come from, which is important for Israel to keep in mind that the source of these blessings are not the Levites. Mm. It's not the priests themselves who are the source of this. It's God himself, which is just a good thing for all priests, both past and present, to keep in mind. What are you trying to say to me? You're not magical. 
Oh, that's good. That's what I'm trying to get. At. Okay. <laughs> it's not you. It's the Jesus's priesthood that you happen to be united in. No, it, but that's a good. That's what the psalm I think is meant to remind and Israel and a people of God like us who tend to get very self-centered and selfish and forget that it's not all about us to be reminded that, no, it's not all about you, that these blessings flow from the source of God himself. Yeah. And that that's why how we can actually remain in a place where we can say, it is weak, and then when I when I am weak, I am strong. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's precisely when I say God acting within me, it's actually powerful and beautiful, and that's actually the nature of why the priesthood is there. Is yeah. it, is it's it's a direct sign to say point point directly towards God because you, you know I, yeah I don't I don't pronounce magical words right you know I, I, what I do is I actually imitate the Lord Jesus in a disposed manner. And when I'm disposed in in the proper ways, then it is accomplished in and of itself by God, not in a power, not in a power that just resides within me. But what's remarkable about you and the Catholic priesthood is that even if you're not disposed, you can still con- the Eucharist is still conferred through you. Well, no, I, I'm actually I'm talking. A diff- uh, but I, I know you are. No, a, a, I, ex the opere operandi. No, no, for sure, uh, for um, sure. Uh, operandi. Um, it, by itself, it is actually uh, it, it, it it happens. It's yeah. that uh, am I ordained a priest? Right. You right. Could, right. You, right. You, that's what I mean by disposed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can say all those words, and you ain't gonna be forgiven nothing or Me, confected personally. nothing. Yeah, yeah. No. I can't confect. No, except a cake. I I mean, you are a confectionary. Hey, one thing to add about this responsorial psalm, in the Christian tradition, both East and the West, um, Psalm 67 was traditionally prayed at sunrise in the in the Christian prayers. Morning which, has broken, just like my voice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Welcome to puberty with the lanky guys. Um, but there's something to the fact that as literally as the sun rises this prayer is meant to be recalled. That the Lord's blessings literally extend from sunrise to sunset, from sea to sea, from coast to coast, from, you know, from A A to Z, which is... From sea to shining sea. From sea to shining sea, which is evokes again number six this idea that you even pray this into the into the ears of your children when they're born from the moment the sun rises from the moment a child is born from the moment of waking in the morning we're to be reminded of who god is and what he wants to give us and the blessings that he wants to show i mean this is actually and and part of it is is just a natural expression of saying what is the face of God and what is his countenance like? Yeah. The sun is really intense. And if you don't put on sunscreen, you will get cancer on your face. And especially think if you're living in the Middle East. I mean, uh, we oh, have a particular, yeah. I mean, this is, we're praying this on New Year's Day in Colorado where it's going to be, you know, probably 30, 40 degrees. I mean, imagine praying this in the heat of a hundred degree Israel. He's like the sun. In fact, the sun I mean, has is nothing, yeah. has nothing compared to what the, the, the reality of the glory and the intensity of God is. And isn't it interesting that the church chooses to have this reading on New Year's Day? As not only the day is beginning anew, but the whole year is beginning anew, we are meant to be called back to this reality that is meant to start our day, to start our year, to start our lives, and to go forward from that moment. So the church causes... These readings this week, I think, are more reflective than anything else, which is an appropriate thing to do on New Year's Day. To yeah. think that I mean I know it's not the beginning of the liturgical new year. It's a different kind of new year. But in a very real sense, we're meant to pause and say, okay, who are we? Where do we come from? And what are we supposed to be doing? And who is actually behind all this? It's it's really interesting because what what we're seeing is a transition actually from the very best of the priesthood of old. Yeah. 
which is the 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 high priestly blessing yep. to a new dawn. Yeah. A new dawning moment of yeah, Mary absolutely. Mary the mother of God. Absolutely. And and so it's like um so w- which actually leads us into Galatians. It does. Because the, the, like the, this dawning for in the Psalms leads us to say, okay, what is the new dawn? What does this have to do with the Christian tradition? What does this have to new, do with the new, the new, the new covenant, the new order, the, the the new creation that's actually born into existence on Christmas Day? Right. How does this now apply? And so we get Galatians. Paul. Paul. One thing to keep in mind. This is a beautiful passage. It's important to keep in mind, though. I think. That when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, he was really, really ticked off. No, I, this I was Paul's tell, angriest man. letter. And he literally begins it. We we you soften it in our translations. Yeah, we soften the translations, but it literally in the Greek says, Oh, stupid Galatians. Who deceived you? Who has bewitched you or deceived you? So they're buying into lies about who they are, who Jesus is, and what it means to be Christian. Yeah. Which all of us do to some degree or another. We all buy into the lie of who we are, who the world tells us we're supposed to be, what the world tells us our faith is, what the media or the people around us or whatever it is, that that line from Fulton Sheen, right? There's not, you know, the famous Fulton Sheen quote, there's not a hundred people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they mistakenly believe to be the Catholic Church. We have all these conceptions and lies yep. about our faith. And Paul is saying, you're giving into this. You know better. You've been baptized for Pete's sake into Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? Because I taught you. I said it to you. I spoke these words face to face. And now you've let it slide away. You've forgotten what you knew. Mm. Um, which... I, I'm reflecting on all the things and all the ways, even in the last week, I've forgotten what I knew to be true and I've acted otherwise. And it's hard to think back on those things and realize, yeah, I knew better. I should not have done that thing. I shouldn't have spoke the, that way to that person. I, I made the wrong decision. I knew better. And this is Paul's reminder. And then he goes on from the letter. And this I, is really I think, the tail I think, end. I think God sends us those reminders, not only in scripture, yeah. but like oftentimes as a pastor, like what'll happen is somebody will come in or they'll come into the confessional or they'll come into to my office to talk and they'll be like, I got this problem. And they're like trying to really live out of integrity and goodness. And you find yourself giving counsel and you're like, I'm, the, I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, right. you're like the holiness is not on this side of the screen, baby. <laughs> You're like, you're like, and and but it's precisely God sending you those realities, not yeah. to condemn you, yeah, yeah, but to set you free, to so that you can go and oh, to convict you. Yeah, you know what I'm. I can actually live the truth of what I know and believe, and that's why it's the principle of one finger pointing out and three pointing back, back at, at you, you is is like the most essential. What's the thumb doing? It's just kind of hanging out there. Oh, it's not really pointing at anything. It's pointing to God. I'm always it's this your is, shooting thing. This is a pretty extreme example, but there is a fine line between um, guilt and conviction. You know what I mean? Of feeling like of, of you know this happens to my kids. I'll tell my kids like this is the way you should live. Here's how you should stand up for what's right, and realize like oh I haven't done those things. Right. But there's you can live in the guilt of that and be like oh I'm horrible. I'm terrible. I'm hopeless. Or be convicted. No, I need to stand back. I, mean, I, I just keep. I always think of the the distinction between Judas and Peter, which is, it's very stark and it's much more extreme, but Judas and Peter both basically sold out Jesus to gain something. Mm. Judas got 30 pieces of silver. Peter saved his own, his own behind, right? But they both lied and sold Jesus out for the sake of themselves. Mm. 
they both realize what they had done. They are mm-hmm. both made aware of their sin. Right. Judas doesn't seem to be able to accept a possibility that he can get up and actually make it right and, and make amends and be convicted to get up and reconcile. Mm-hmm. So he kills himself. Peter realizes it, is convicted, is heartbroken, but then when he sees Jesus the next time after the resurrection, runs to him, throws himself upon God's mercy, and lets himself be embraced by it. There's a difference between falling into despair by that and getting up and being convicted to live better, and that's Mm. what Paul's really challenging the Galatians with here. Mm. He's like, what are you going to choose? And I'm reminded, again, of going back to Deuteronomy. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Do you want life or death? Which way are you going to go? Because there's a choice to be made. So he says, brothers and sisters, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. The fullness of time, by the way, came last week. (laughs) Literally (laughs) literally a couple of days ago. That's what Paul is saying. The fullness of time just passed. So don't be in such a hurry to pack up your tree and throw it to the curb because we're talking about the fullness of time. Dwell in it a little bit. That's the thing about Christmas. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I... Mm, it's so frustrating that we celebrate Christmas because people always talk about this, but we start celebrating Christmas, you know, at Thanksgiving or at Halloween. And then by the time Christmas actually shows up and the time for celebration begins, we're all sick and tired of it. And we want to get rid of all the stuff and move on to the next thing. Mm. But the fullness of time has just arrived. As of now, when we're recording this on December 29th, the fullness of time showed up four days ago. That was the fullness of all time. Mm. And don't be so quick to pack everything up back in the box and put it in the basement. Mm. Just just dwell in it for a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, that, I, I'm struck by that. The fullness of time is right now. God sent his son. He was born of a woman under the law. Born under the law. This law that was partially laid out in numbers. Um, that we might receive adoption as sons, that we might literally be brought into the family as proof that you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What Galatians is trying to show is this high priestly blessing that only the priest was allowed to pray in numbers, you actually have been adopted into the birthright of. Mm. You are a priestly people now. Whereas in the past, there's one person who's set apart to have this grace passed through him to you. Now you all have authority of priests. And more than priests, you're actually sons. You're kings, you're priests, and you're sons and daughters. So this, this beautiful, profound reality that the first reading is drawing us to and the psalm is calling us back to, now you have full access and authority to because you are heirs. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, I can't believe that you've forgotten this. I can't believe that you've forgotten who you are. Don't forget. Here's the proof. You can actually cry out, Abba, Father, because you're actually a son and an heir and a priest, and you have access to this blessing. So I'm struck by the second reading because it is calling us back to this, which especially, again, in Christmas, in the fullness of time, this week, it's good for us to re-remind remind ourselves of who we are and what all this means. It's great that there's Christmas. It's great there's pretty trees. It's great that you got nice presents and cookies are starting to go stale a couple days later. But what does it mean for who you are? Because your identity has changed because of this baby being born. So that's, that's, I don't know. It takes the whole um, brilliance of this first reading and applies it directly onto us. Yes. Because of Jesus, which takes us into Luke. It takes us into the gospel, 
which is the which is the really like the fulfillment of everything that the the Christmas readings, specifically the Christmas readings at midnight. It's actually like the resulting fa- uh, expression, which yeah. is so cool. Like I actually kind of would love to have these on Christmas Day. That would be um, cool. But um, are they in any? I mean, I know there's like four different options for readings on Christmas Day, depending on the mass. Yeah, the, this these is, don't show up anymore. This, these don't show up. This is the second half of what you would have gotten. Getting, you would have gotten it on the midnight mass. Ah, um, yes, I see. Right. Yeah, and so uh, Luke too, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the, the babe. shepherds. That is, oh, uh, thank you. You bet. Um, uh, lying in a manger, uh, and when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept the, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the mm. womb. So, so the, uttering what the is, tr- I mean, like, I, I just as far as a bracket goes to set us up, we have this kind of beautiful uh, naming of God, uh, like the high priestly prayer. Yeah. Um, that we don't get the naming of God in, but wouldn't wouldn't this is my question? Is I always thought that Zechariah. Um, would would have named God in the high priestly prayer at that moment. Wouldn't he have pronounced the name of God? The Lord bless you and keep you. Oh, the you. Lord. Okay. But I, so. I believe okay, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure. But I believe I believe he would have said Yahweh pronounced the name of God. Yeah, that's what I thought keep too. You. Because I, I whenever you see the, the word Lord. Lord show up in capital letters in the Old Testament text it is exchanging the word Yahweh that is actually what is spoken in the original Hebrew there. Does that make sense? Yep. So because we don't want to use the name of God, it is exchanged with the term the Lord in all capital letters. But I believe, yeah, what, what Zechariah and what the, high pri- what the priest would have said is Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh let his face shine upon you. Literally the personalized first person name of God which so I just think it's interesting that on Mary the mother of God we have the 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 bracketing of naming there's something there's something very intimate about sharing one's name you know what I mean yeah if you ever talk to like homeless oftentimes won't give you the real name yeah 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 they'll tell you my name's Pepper my name's I don't know Cactus (laughs) Cactus I have you know a cactus I know a cactus and I know a pepper I know a pepper I know oh, that's a, a Dr. Pepper. Uh, I actually do know a do- I have a friend named Josh Pepper who became a doctor almost exclusively so that he could become Dr. Pepper. <laughs> that is a true story. <laughs> I'm sure there was other reasons he became a doctor, but regardless. Regardless, that was the Dr. most Pepper. noble of them. <laughs> <laughs> the most noble. I just want to remind us, though, it says the shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem, found the infant lying in the manger. They did this because of the message. Do you remember what the message was at its heart? The sign will you... Uh, no, no, that's the sign. What was the message? Uh, today a savior is born to us who is Christ the king. What was the first thing said to them though? Do you remember this? I remember it because Lily in the Christmas pageant on uh, midnight, four o'clock midnight mass, <laughs> she had the job of reading the narration for the angel. So we practiced it like a hundred times. So I've got it drilled into my head. What was, was the, what? the first thing that the angel said to the shepherds is the same thing. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That in a certain sense is the message. Don't be afraid. Why? Because your savior has come. Here's huh. the sign that you're to know it. So the message that they actually go forth with that's supposed to be burning in their hearts is it's, it's time for us to not be afraid anymore. We've been living in this period of salvation history that is defined by fear. 
and horrors and Herod and Caesar and all of these threats, existential threats to us, waiting for the moment that God's going to set the things right. Hmm. And the first things out of the angel's mouth are, be not afraid. It's actually the first words of St. John Paul II's pontificate, which in a certain sense defined our era as Catholics, right? Yeah. Defined this century, I was just thinking this, this about period that. of time. Do not be afraid. This is the message. I mean, I know that there is the message and all the content of it, but the words that are supposed to be ringing in those shepherds' hearts and heads as they, with great courage, go to this house in Bethlehem to meet the king of the universe is, don't be afraid. He is able to be met by you. You can go and access. Don't be afraid of that. I mean, dude, let's that's just, what draws them there. Well, let's also just be honest for a second. If an angel showed up to you and I right now during the <laughs> podcast and said, we want you to go knock on your neighbor's house because something amazing is happening there, yeah. you'd be like, um, uh, I mean, I, I, there'd be a lot of things happening in my heart. And <laughs> <laughs> then yeah. I, would, I would be like, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, an angel um, told me to come here. <laughs> you got something going on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I, we heard that there was supposed to be some swaddling clothes. <laughs> I, we heard there was a mummified baby. Can over we just here. see your manger real quick? Yeah, just, we just want to check it out. Yeah, because the angel told us about this. But it's funny that I mean, what's the response of all the people in the house? And we don't know who's there. I mean, is it just Mary and Joseph? Are there more family there? I know we're about, not sure. And it says, and for they had all heard and seen, but they who all? Yeah. There, so that tells me there's more than just Mary and Joseph. We yeah. don't know. But what's their response to the shepherds? Praising God. They, nope. uh, they, I don't know. They're amazed. Which is kind of striking if you think about it. Remember they had told them about the child. All who heard it were amazed by what they had been told to them by the shepherds. Mm. The shepherds, I mean, shep, uh, there's something to the, fa- I, I, dwelled on the, I dwelt on this last week, maybe too much. But there's something to the fact that shepherds are so lowly in society. They're considered unclean. I mean, again, according to the laws of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you can't even come into contact with, uh, if you were a Nazar- someone with a Nazarite vow, you would not be able to come in contact with a shepherd because they were always touching dead animals and death and they were considered unclean. And so this total reversal of the way that the world works, now the shepherds are the ones amazing the people. Mary, Joseph, whoever else is there in the family are amazed by the low. It, again, it'd be like the what, homeless guy, it'd be like Pepper coming to the door, sharing a message and us saying, you have totally blown my mind. Imagine that this is Luke's, one of Luke's very subtle uses of ironic reversals. Hmm. Now the lowliest members of society are able to actually partake in this announcement of God's grace. They too are participating in this priestly blessing of number six. What, what and if, it amazes them. What if Zechariah and Elizabeth had traveled for the baby? I, w- I, was, I was thinking about that, and I was wondering about that. I mean, that's an interesting it's speculation. It's not, They're it, not that far away. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, they could have made haste when they heard that she was going to be with the baby. It's possible. Dude, that would it's be intense. That would be wild. I mean, that would uh, that would make a very, very nice, pretty book-ended podcast. <laughs> it would. <laughs> There's also something very beautiful about the fact that they believe the shepherds, mm. which sounds like such a simple, almost not mentionable point. But shepherds are not people that were considered, you know, the best members of society. And there must be something very dignified in showing up at a house and being trusted and being believed and being heard. And they're like, oh, man, tell us again. 
tell us again what it was like when you were on that hillside and the angels appeared. And why would Mary and Joseph have good reason to believe them? Because the very same angel appeared to both of them and said the exact same thing. Mm. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary into your house. Mm. Don't be afraid, Mary, for this is what God is going to do. All three of them, they're the only three that hear that message. Be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid. This thrice refrain from Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Mm. And they share this bond over the son who is going to be the shepherd of shepherds, the shepherd who will become the king of kings. Which is, I, I don't know if there's too much mileage there, but there's just something kind of beautiful about that moment, about that scene. Imagine being a lowly shepherd and just getting to hang for a little bit with Joseph and Mary. Dude, that would like, be... Man, let me tell you what happened. And uh... Joseph being like, you know what? An angel appeared to me. I don't know what they shared, but just imagine that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I had an experience kind of like that too. That would be a, I mean, in a certain sense, we're getting the first vision of the Catholic Church. We are absolutely getting the first vision of the Catholic Church. Is, is of, of drawing all of creation. That's exactly right. We're, we're, you know, Mary, the mother of God, is, is in a certain sense drawing her adopted children all together. And what is she doing? And she is mothering. She's keeping all these things in her heart. Oh yeah. She's pondering it. She's and I think I think that's Luke's She's subtle way. She's taking it all in. But I think it's also Luke's subtle way of Ooh. showing you where his story has come from. Yes. I have this. I have this information. I'm giving you this insight into this beautiful moment of the birth of not just the son of man but the Catholic Church itself because Mary held on to this in her heart. And she pondered it and it dwelt with her and she shared it with me and I've taken it to paper and now you're reading it and proclaiming it 2,000 years later because she held on to that in her heart. She realized those words that are similar to what Paul says in Galatians. She knew who she was. She remembered her identity. She kept that in her heart. She pondered it for her whole life and then she gave it to me to pass on to you so that you could pass on to your children. You could pass on to your children just like the priest was supposed to do with that blessing to pass it on from generation to generation, from people to people, so that the people could be comforted and built up by these words, be not afraid. Mm. Which is a kind of a neat capstone yeah. for this year, really. Amen. Amen. Dude, um, when was Jesus given his name, by the way? Like, cause at, the says, at the Annunciation. Mary's, Mary's told at the Annunciation. That, that he would so be this is kind Jesus. of a little bookend as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is saying now that message that was given to her at the Annunciation, now it's reached its fulfillment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah, yeah. you applied. shall call him Jesus. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I got it's tripped up with you shall call him Emmanuel. Yeah, it, I, that's Matthew. That's Matthew. Granted, I'm sure she was told both, but yeah, yeah it was at the Annunciation. Yeah, that's why it's easy to get tripped up on that. Indeed. But I'll tell you, but his name is proclaimed and yep. we get an opportunity. I mean, like, think about how blessed we we are. Yeah. I mean, by participating in this podcast, you guys, you yourselves get a chance to um, hear the name proclaimed over you. Absolutely. You know, and so we bless you in this beautiful civic new year and Mary, the mother <laughs> of God, the completion of the octave. La, 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 la. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> I added a I added a subtle tone in there. Don't play it for Mark Thomas. Okay. <laughs> well, everybody, we will see you next year with a brand new episode. For all of those uh, who are listening to this as you uh, are preparing for Seek, mm. uh, Seek His Face. Seek His Face, and you will you might see Father Peter floating around. Oh, yeah, literally, I, I do float. Um, <laughs> I learned a magic trick. Nice. All right, everybody, we'll who see you next time. Who says I'm not magic? I don't. <laughs> I will take that back. <laughs> okay, you love are you guys. Fully magic. Bye bye. Bye.
The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.